Hello everyone and welcome to the Bear Hug Club, a pro wrestling podcast of positivity. I'm your host, Greg Wilson, and as always I'm joined by my boo, Garrett Whitner. Hello, baby. Hey babe, how's things been going this week? Um Um You know, they've been going. Been going. No, same here. Just busy with work, um obviously getting things the pod going. I mean the big thing is we have a name now, which is pretty cool. Um how are you feeling about the name choice? Uh well, it reminds me of every time we hug. It does, doesn't it? I think the consensus with it's a pretty open name for like interpretation and then some of it's quite funny. I think it fits with the wrestling angle, but when I told my friend about it, he liked it's quite an inviting name, I think, and I think I agree with him on that. Yeah, and it's kind of warm. It's lovely. Yeah, it is. It's just like a welcome, you know, a big hug kind of thing. I mean, we're, we're burying the move with that, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, who really uses a bear hug these days? Mm-hmm. But pretty cool move. Just helps with cool branding and images as well, so we're working on that. Um, I think some of the big things of it is... It's again the interpretation. Like to me, it sounds like something you could either find on like the Disney Channel or CBBS for like kids. But then right. one of my friends pointed out it sounds like it could easily be the name of a good gay bar in Soho or the, or the Pink Triangle in Newcastle. So it covers a lot of bases. Bases. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing as well since we launched the first episode, we're now on a couple of different platforms. So. We're on Podbean, we're on Amazon, we're on Google Podcasts now. That was just come through the day. And we're on Spotify. And I'm currently working to get us on other ones, with the main one being iTunes, because that's kind of the, the major platform for podcasts. So hopefully in the next week or so, I'll have that sorted out. And we're also on social media. At the moment, it's just Facebook at the Bear Club Podcast. So if... You like this? Please go over there, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know what? You know what? I'll t- I'll go on Twitter right now and see if uh, uh, Bear Hug Club is taken. Yeah, that was the thing when I researched it. They did it didn't seem like there is other podcasts with that name, but you never know. Someone might have already just snatched up the name for like a future thing. But so I mean, far... if we can if we can start a feud already with a with another podcaster, I'm down for it. Yeah, let's go at war. I mean, I saw a lot of companies with the name Bear Hug, but it was nothing to do with wrestling. Um, so that would be quite an interesting feud if we're going to war over branding rights. Uh, we are now officially at Bear Hug Club. On Twitter? Yes. Ah, sweet. Well, we'll work on... We've got that now then, so people can go check us out. And we're also going to set up an Instagram as well, so keep an eye out for those of the coming weeks. And like I said, just give us a share, like, subscribe, and if you listen to a podcast and like it, give us a review, because that goes a long way on podcast platforms to boost us up there. Great. Uh, anything you want to mention there, Garrett, before we go into the highlight reel? No, let's just jump right in. Sweet. So, it's been a pretty slow news week. Um, there's a major headline, but we're saving that to the end for our main topic. It, you'll probably see in the episode description that we're going to be talking about unionization today. Easy for me to say. But we'll be saving <laughs> the announcement of a certain Superstars release for that. But the main thing I want to lead in this week, which was quite a big thing, was Drew McIntyre won the WWE title on Raw. Um, Aye, he did. He did, he did. Um, it was it was a bit of a surprise, to be honest. I mean, I saw on Friday that they did tease him and Roman, but 
given Orton only just won the bell, I was adamant that he was going to be keeping that probably still Mania, so it was quite surprising that we'd shot put on a McIntyre. I think for the WWE title, it's always surprising when they change it on Raw. It's, it's obviously not something that they haven't done before, but mm-hmm. it's very rare that they do, so it's quite surprising to see. They haven't changed it on Raw since 2015, 2016. Oh, okay. Who, who was it that uh, won it on that time? Ah oh, Jesus. Um Okay, I can't put me on the spot that hard. <laughs> I I remember the last time it changed on TV was uh obviously the SmackDown um new season starting on when it moved to Fox and that was obviously the the Kofi uh Brock handover. Yeah. Um, didn't like I mean, that. Yeah, I mean if they didn't have a story for Kofi, fine. And I guess they were I guess Fox were paying Huge amounts of money for Brock. Um, yeah. I, I would have at least liked to have seen a match. It was a move, but that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just the fact that that, that year's build the WrestleMania with Kofi Mini was fantastic. And I think yeah. he did hold the belt pretty well. Like, there wasn't too much to write home about, but it was just the fact that he got there and he was holding his own as a champion. I would have liked to have just seen it being a longer match than just a couple-minute squash contest for him because i think he deserved more than that by proving he was overcoming the odds but what can you do it happened it's in the past but so yeah um what do you think that do you think this title change on raw was just because maybe mcintyre versus roman was a better angle to go with because we've seen with past survivor series over a couple of years since doing this brand warfare thing it's not uncommon because i believe was it was it last year or the year before where the put it on Brian just so he could fight Brock. I think it was he took it off Jinder because they saw Jinder versus Brock wasn't that money match. So it's not uncommon that they've been doing this over the past few years, but it is still see it is still a surprise to see when it does happen. I think um much much like all combat sports, champions should fight champions. Um and I think Vince and the WWE see that in Survivor series having champions against champions. Um, so having the, you know, the the people he perceives as the two biggest stars is probably the right move. Uh, I think obviously taking it off of Jinder at that time was a good move. There were reports that it was just done to try and breach into the Indian market at the time. Um, I think, you know, I, I like Jinder. I think, uh, I I think especially keeping the WWE title within members of the three man band is a, is a good idea. I'm still waiting for Heath's turn. Um, yeah. But I I don't know I guess that I guess this move because it's not like he doesn't favor um, Randy Orton. I mean, which which one was this? Was this fourteenth? Yeah, so I think he's one behind Cena at this point. Uh, obviously, Flair's still the sixteen. I think Cena's fifteen. And I think Orton's at fourteen now, where he's tied with Triple H. Mm. Um, I don't know. They they did that promo before the match they did it was the promo on smackdown i believe where it was um uh, the stare down between uh, roman and drew yeah it was so yeah. I, th- I think going off the current climate that is the match to go with i totally forgot i think was it last year's wrestlemania they had a match and i completely forgot that happened um clearly a sign of how much things have changed because I'm generally looking forward to Survivor Series now to see what these two do so I think it's definitely been a good move and it's definitely more of a marquee match that you want to see for sure like Survivor Series 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably for the best um, to keep it on him. Well, to give it back to him. Whether it was a good idea to take it off of Randy, if you're just going to do the change back, will you know? Time will tell. They could make they could make a story out of it. Uh, it seemed like they were going down the route of, um, you know, he was the legend killer and now he's the legend, which I think was the the tagline they went with. Well, I guess okay. the legend has now been beaten very quickly in his first defense. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't damage Dan, Randy in the slightest. He's already no. kind of got his legacy there at this point. He is more one of those talents you can put the belt on just for a safe choice. And I, I'm not the biggest Orton fan. I never really was, but I can't deny that he's got he's a skilled in in ring worker, and he's always had some fantastic storylines. So he is reliable. So again, I don't think it'll be damaging to him. And then the chances are they'll they'll give him the fifteenth one, haven't tied with Cena. And I mean that could be an interesting thing to go forward with if Cena ever comes back in the near future, have them to fight over who could get the 16th title reign. So yeah, it, it, it can go a few different ways, I think. So I'm, it, it's, mm. it's, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I'm now interested. Uh, I'm more interested than I would be if it was Orson Reigns. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you got any news you want to bring up? So there was a there was a, an article, um, and it it was uh, it was to do with uh, Kane and the Undertaker, and they believed that the right call would have been to to have the Undertaker beaten by Reigns at WrestleMania and not Lesnar at Mania. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So they were already kind of casting an eye on future talent who should have probably been put over, rather than kind of giving it to someone like Lesnar who was already too established. Yeah, um, I think he was. I think it was because he was discussing the the Roman and uh, Jay Uso storyline. I could be, that could be two different uh, conversations. But Taker is obviously very, uh, very big on on Reigns. Um, I guess he handed over the the reins of the locker room leader to Reigns. Um, yep. No, no, absolutely. I mean, their match. That obviously did happen, and it wasn't always the best because of a, a clear Taker was a bit knack at that point. I think he did get injured during it, but that was a perfect standoff. Obviously, that wasn't the end of things. He did come back and have a couple more matches, but I think yeah. Reigns would have been a good choice. Um, it's it's always fun to look back on that WrestleMania 30 match because it's one of those things you either love or hate. How that went down. Did you ever have anyone in mind who should have? won the streak off Taker before it happened? Um, I think even back then, I I was I was somewhat behind Reigns. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always the conversation where it's just like, oh, he was shoved down our throats, blah, 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 blah. But if you're gonna do it, do it. Commit. Yeah. Um, you know, if people are gonna hate him, they're gonna hate him. I... It, the reaction he would get it was still such a like a visceral reaction um often god which which mania was it was it two manias ago where it was him and brock in the main event Ooh, uh yeah i think the last one was about two years ago and that's when brock surprisingly beaten and completely like completely decimated him. I think he busted them all open, just savaged them, and it was a surprise that he 
didn't win then. I think everyone had money on Reigns to win that one. Yeah, but I remember the crowd's reaction just being complete, like, turning away, people leaving, yelling. Like, not, not, it didn't feel like positive heat at the time. And I feel like if, um, if they would have pulled the trigger on Reigns and made him and cemented him as the top guy earlier on, then perhaps, perhaps it, it, it could have turned out a little bit differently. Maybe we would have even got the uh, the heel turn earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was he still with the Shield when WrestleMania 30 happened? Um, I'm sure they were still being gone yeah, by I then. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's what, nearly six, six years ago? Yeah, because so, I mean, the... The thing people seem to forget is when he was in the Shield when they debuted, people were really hot on Roman. It was after the Shield imploded, and we could see the move to try and make him the top guy a bit too soon, and the way that we were pushing him. That's when people soured on him. Like I've I've always been a champion of Reigns because I think he's a good wrestler, especially for like that big man type. Um, because he drew a lot of comparisons to people like people like Goldberg and stuff, and it was like that's just crazy talk. Because Reigns is a really competent wrestler, and he comes from such a good background and like one of the most iconic wrestling families. So, I was always a champion of him, of of him. But I did agree with everyone that like they pushed them too soon, and he wasn't ready for that top position. And we've kind of seen evidence of like what we wanted all along with this heel run that this is what they should have gone with. Like take that Rocky Maivia route with him make him a bad guy, make him hate everyone, and eventually that'll catapult him to the moon and back, and right now he's the most captivating person to watch on WWE. Yeah, I remember seeing some earlier um, sort of vignettes with him in the Shield, some backstage things, and you can tell when he's just kind of shooting from the hip a little bit more. He seems, he's not he's not bad on the mic. He was given a bad uh, a bad lot of it, you know, what with suffering succotash and things like that. <laughs> Which is annoyingly what he's remembered for, but he was, he was pretty good, especially with his like back and forths with, um, at, at the time Ambrose, um, and Rollins, of course. But uh, I guess I guess back to you know who should have, who should have taken the who should have beaten the streak. Yeah. It should it probably should have been Reigns, if uh, hindsight doesn't really work for it. But if um, it hadn't been beaten by the Fiend, perhaps it should have been beaten by the Fiend. Yeah, I think Fiend would have been going on because like Bray Wyatt is basically the modern version of Taker in terms of like the character work, and it's the, he's probably the only main wrestler on WWE that has one of those kind of gimmicks that's mysterious and a bit spooky. Um, so that's why I was really excited to see their match, which was was that thirty one or thirty two that happened, and mm. it just wasn't a great match. Um, so I was always hoping that he'd get a redo of that, especially the Fiend now in position. And Bray would have been the perfect person to take that because right. that is a very strong pass- passing of the torch moment. But again, hindsight is what it is. Yeah. Um, pardon me for a while, I always thought it could have been CM Punk. But looking back, it was probably never going to go to Punk given like how much like heat and stuff he had backstage and how no one ever truly rated him. So that his his actual take a match though i rate it i love that match i think oh, it's one absolutely. of my favorite one of my favorite take a matches oh 100 that's up there as one of my favorite wrestlemania matches it's mm-hmm. one of cm punk's best ones it's a bit weird to watch through if you've 
if you listen to the Colt Cabana podcast, because he says how he wrestled that match with Death Wish, he was just going hell for leather, and it just to kind of prove everyone wrong and that he should have been at that main event level. But it's still absolutely fantastic. I mean, other than the Boneyard match from this year, that was easily Taker's take last good WrestleMania match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so moving on to highlights, I don't really have any other news because, like I say, it's been quite slow this week. But the one thing I want to bring up is that it seems surprising that we are not getting war games this year. Um, there's been no announcement in NXT in Survivor Series is next weekend, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's strange that they're not going forward with it. Um, obviously, it was already announced that NXT wouldn't be part of Survivor Series this year. I think they're trying to really differentiate the two brands now that they're both on TV. But it seems surprising they're not given that platform to have the war game, so they've still got their pay-per-view moment. And what's even more surprising is, given that they've set up this new stable with McAfee, which I'm absolutely loving, against the Undisputed Era, it seems tailor-made for this match, but it doesn't seem to be happening, at least not for Survivor Series weekend. Maybe they might lead to it afterwards, but I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, um, even the social media... Uh, accounts are, are doing I think the most recent one I saw on Instagram was um, you know who's the best four-man team and I had a picture of uh, the new McAfee stable um, for horsemen uh, evolution it had uh, MVPs stable the hurt business and obviously it, you know, at the bottom it had um, undisputed era as well when you're when you're building up to war games as they have done for for what three years in a row now We've had how long have we had war games on XT? Three. It's about three, three four years. Yeah, um, you build up, you build up a four man team, you or a, a four woman team, um, which also I guess hasn't had a build from from what I've seen. No, no. So there's no women's stables or teams mm. happening at the moment. So yeah, again, that's something that's kind of missing. Given the did the first women's one last year, and that was really good. I suppose. On the one hand, you can complain that WWE now do, um, you know, they do a Survivor Series, uh, like, um, sorry, they do a an Elimination Chamber every year, they do a, a Hell in a Cell every year, they do this and that, and, and it's regimented. Yeah. I suppose it's good in a sense, because it makes it more of a special attraction. Um, I don't know. It's it's conflicting because I really want it, but uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know what would have stopped them from doing it. I mean, I'm hoping there's just a delay to it, and we might get it maybe in December or something. Because it's become their big one of their biggest. Well, it's the only kind of gimmick pay per view. NXT has and going off you said there I don't mind that this one's a gimmick pay-per-view because it feels like something like the Royal Rumble for example I think you could still have that element where someone like Helm the Cell doesn't need a gimmick pay-per-view and they can maybe just have the war games be something that's sporadic that comes up every year but now that it's already established as a takeover event I think you can keep running with that um it's just surprising to not see it because it, it always does really well. The match is always entertaining and it's probably the best gimmick match WWE has at the moment. Obviously with things like Rumble and Money in the Bank excluded. It's it's really well done. It's always fun. Um, there's been some amazing moments in the last couple. So it, it, it was just surprising to me that there's been 
a semen build to it and no mention so far of, of it happening. So it doesn't look like it, there's going to be anything for Survivor Series weekend, but maybe hopefully afterwards they're just kind of delaying it a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose they've been doing a few somewhat special events. They did the, the Halloween Havoc on um, on TV. When that f- first announced, I thought I thought that was going to be in place of War Games. I thought they were going to do that as a pay-per-view. Uh, they did it on TV, and it was a very good show. Um, there was there was rumors that Adam Cole's contract was going to be up, so maybe that was the reason why they weren't. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think Bleacher reported that he has, you know, over a year left on his current contract. So I don't think that's the case. Um, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's just kind of surprising, but. Hopefully we get it. I mean, even if it's just a year off, hopefully it'll be back next year. I suppose one thing that might be an issue is they're obviously in that new performance center they've set up, and it does look great, but it does look like a pretty small space. Maybe right. that's part of the reason, because usually when they've got that thing set up, it fits perfectly into like the bigger arenas, whereas now they're still in that little smaller venue. Maybe it's just hard because you need two full rings and this massive cage over it. Maybe it's just due to size constraints, they maybe can't run it this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably we won't get, um, depending on how things go, we may not even get a a chamber next year um, or a War Games. I guess we'll just have to see what happens with it anyway. Mm -hmm. But I'm still enjoying the stuff with McAfee's stable. It's great to see Hale done, and I'm looking forward to see what it leads to. Um any 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 other news you want to bring up? Uh, no, it's a pretty slow news week. I think that's the the majority of things. Obviously, the biggest news is is on unions, which is coming up. Hello, everybody. This is just Greg here with a quick after recording update. So we recorded this pod on the Wednesday evening, and so literally a few hours later, they announced on NXT that War Games would be coming back on the sixth of December. So far, they've announced it's going to be Team Shotzi versus Team Candice LeRae, and it's going to be the Undisputed Era taking on Pat McCarthy's stable. So a really good show so far. Uh, we'll probably be discussing this more in the next week's pod, but it was just to kind of give you this quick update. So uh, enjoy the rest of the pod, and I'll catch you next week. See you later. Moving over to matches you need to see. So if you didn't check out the first episode, this is going to be an ongoing series we do where we each take in turns to pick out a match and we kind of go through it beat by beat to kind of explain why it's a match you need to see. doesn't always need to be like an absolute classic of a match. It could just be something that you just really like. Uh, it could be something that's just got comedy in. It could even be something that's just so bad it's good. Last week, I did the six-man Hell, Hell in a Cell from Armageddon 2000, and it's Garrett's turn this week to pick the match, so I'll let you take it from here. Thank you very much. Uh, so, my match is from the Best of the Super Junior 26 final. It is Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi. Uh, and you uh, you caught up on this uh, just recently, didn't you? Yeah, so I managed to catch it this morning. I reignited my New Japan profile. Um, I've always loved New Japan, but it's never been a company I've managed to get heavily into. I've got a few favorite matches from it, but I remember at the time when this match came out, it got a lot of praise and hype, so I was really looking forward to watching it. And I absolutely enjoyed it. I thought it was absolutely like brilliant. It was such a good match. Yeah, um, I mean, for people that aren't super familiar with New Japan, they treat uh, the the Super Juniors or the the Junior Heavyweight Division is, I suppose, their version of Two Hundred Five, their version of the Cruiserweights, and it's treated with the same 
um, revelry as pretty much any other part of it. You won't see the main event, their biggest show, but they do have their own huge shows uh, like this, like the Best of the Super Juniors. Um, it's The Best of the Super Juniors is like their main junior tournament every year. Um, and this was one of the sort of big crownings of Osprey. This was sort of his... Um, one of the big stories they've been telling with Osprey over the past few years is his elevation to the heavyweight division, moving up, um, sort of being led by his mentor, Okada, as part of the stable Chaos. And the guy that he faced in the final of the Best of the Super Juniors is a guy called Shingo Takagi, who had recently at the time joined the LIJ stable, uh, Los Ingobernables Ingo de Japón. And if you look at the man, he is no junior. He is uh, huge. He's built. He's a veteran of the business. Um, so it was pretty strange to see him in uh, the junior division. He doesn't wrestle like a junior. Sure, he can go toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with him um, pretty much in speed, but he doesn't really do as many of these big flashy moves that they do. Um, so going you know, off that, because yeah. I remember you, you set this up, um, does the junior division have, like, I'm assuming they do have a weight limit, so how was it that Chingo kind of was involved in that year's tournament? I think they do technically have a weight limit, but it's kind of more, if it fits for the story, they'll just kind of roll with it. So, like, WWE, essentially? Kind of. I mean, there was a... Do you remember 205... Um, God, I doubt anyone really remembers this, but there was a point during 205 where they were just kind of trying everything they could. Well, everything apart from uh, actually like promoting them and, and putting them on main shows. Yeah, They put... It was around the time that I think the belt got taken off of Enzo. They put in Gold Dust into 205 Live. Wow, I do not remember that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure uh, Dustin is not 205. No, no, definitely not. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess Japan does that now, but they do it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit better. Um, but yeah, onto, onto the actual match, I suppose. Um, yeah. It's, it's the crowning of uh, Osprey. He, he comes out with a goddamn samurai sword. Uh, stands in the ring, holds it out to um, to Shingo. Have, have you ever seen that uh, that image of the smug cat with a with a someone's holding a knife to it and it's just looking at you smugly? Shingo kind of had that face to him. <laughs> um, I, I believe at the time Osprey had just introduced his new finisher, which because it, it was sort of his elevation to the heavyweights, he now has this mm. sort of. It's it's a weird. Have you you obviously saw the um the the finish and and you know his um uh, his move being the stormbreaker. It's this sort of it's this butterfly arm hooked. It's very difficult to sort of it's explain hard. it. It's like a a butterfly arm hooked spinning neck breaker. That's kind of a cutter, I suppose. It's really hard to 
describe anyway but then it's also one of those moves like you have to kind of watch in slow motion just to figure out how the hell he did it as well yeah it's just yeah. i mean the, the one thing I, I i put about this match which i think just sums up osprey in general is to kind of rip off alan partridge a bit this was just essentially pure liquid wrestling and that's kind of what osprey is like he's the kind of person no matter what the match you could have several moments where you just need to kind of like slow down and go through frame to frame just to see how he pulled something off. And that's sort of what the Stormbreaker finish is like. It's it's a really ridiculously cool finisher, but it just kind of defies logic on how the hell he actually hits that. Yeah, um, I think I think this match is, is just... It, it. He's been match after match, which has cemented him as one of the best. Um, and... Most likely, if he continues on form, he's going to be, uh, at least down to PWI, he's going to be number one at one point. Yeah. Much like Kenny, much like Okada. Um, I mean, to that end, would you say, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong about this, would he, if he gets there, would he be the first ever IWGP heavyweight champion? You mean the first British one? First British one, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, has there been a British one? Plenty of Americans. I think, I'm, if I'm right, it's mostly been Americans mm -hmm. as former Let champions or have... Canadians as well. But I don't think there's been a British one. British IWGP heavyweight champion. Because I mean, I don't. I don't believe so. Um, they. I mean, they. No. It's... Obviously, Bulldog didn't. I don't think so. Off the top of my head, no. I don't think there has been. I think it, I think for like Gaijin, it's strictly been American and Canadian. I could be wrong about that, but that's kind of the ones that spring to mind. Like we were talking a bit before the recording, like you know, people like Hogan, Vader, yeah. Omega, were, and Jay White. I've also got Australian there as well. Then, but I can't think of any British names to be honest. Well, I, I guess I guess just to, by process of elimination. Um, you look at you look at these big names. I suppose Jay White excluded because he's a relatively new star. Um, but you look at these names and they're given the title because of star power and star um, potential. It's why Hogan had it. It's why Vader had it. If you really think about a British star reaching that level, where you think, oh, Japan must have got this guy in to take the belt, the only I mean, who, who, really? The only British name that springs to mind that was a fairly big star in Japan, but I doubt he was ever on the level for the heavyweight, would have been Dynamite Kid. But again, he's more pivotal in the fact it was the junior division he helped bolster up. Um, away from that, I guess, did Davy Boy ever wrestle in New, in New Japan with him? Uh, I don't know if he did i know that um uh you did well junior or or davy boy uh oh well davy boy junior is there but i meant his dad uh, british bulldog i don't believe so no no that's fine then i mean to be honest it, it's only been i mean british wrestling would have still been at a big peak back in the 80s but again you look at the top stars that were probably on British TV at the time, they would have never been something New Japan would have put the belt on. Like, you couldn't see 
Big Daddy coming over and winning the IWGP title. Right. I just don't think they would have ever done that. Well, I suppose I suppose back when we had we had Hogan level stars, we had Big Daddies, and we had all of these characters. Uh, the IWGP title was just a completely different ball game. Um, obviously, th- this was probably around the time that Inoki was holding on to it, and yeah, I, 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 I suppose Osprey will eventually be the first British IWGP heavyweight champion. I think so as well. It's it's like it's like we're saying there, but even in the open high package for this, it's clear they're trying to build him up as being that top star. And I think that that 2019 was kind of a banner year for him because I was looking over things like the sort of star ratings Melter gives out, yeah. and the bulk of the bird, the the highest earners that year were all kind of linked to Osprey matches. So it was definitely one of his sort of like big years and wrestling where he was kind of really exploding into that sort of main, level, uh, main event level scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he's now officially moved up to the heavyweight division. He's he's wrestled in the G1 uh, a couple times now. He's uh, he's just turned on, um, on Okada, setting up his own stable where he is the leader of it, which is where you can really see that they've put all of the... Uh, this push behind him and they are you know they're with him he he was someone who was sought after by every company and should he leave japan which you know he, he probably could have gone um much like ricochet did to um to wwe and he was he would probably have been put in an even higher profile spot than ricochet um but he's stuck with japan and decided that this is what he wants and i think it's it's a very Japanese thing, uh, Japanese mentality, that a job is for life. So they they do, where 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 in a lot of places, and you you'll see it in in some wrestling companies where sometimes your loyalty isn't rewarded. In Japan, it often is because of just the the mentality they have. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I, I think we've still got a few years of him in New Japan because he seems comfortable there, and I think he does want to work towards getting the IWGP title run. Whatever happens after then, I think we will eventually see him move over into uh, maybe WWE or possibly AEW. I think AEW might be a better fit for him. I think I think it's going to depend on how big he gets his brand because it's... It's like Ricochet is obviously one of the best high flyers alongside Osprey. Like they've had some amazing matches, like ridiculously good matches. But he did incredibly well in NXT, and now he's just kind of lost on the main roster. He's not really doing much. So I just wouldn't want to see that of Osprey, given how hard he's worked to this and like how much he's really sort of bolstered himself up over these last couple of years. So. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what he does if he does ever decide to leave New Japan. That's one thing for sure. Yeah, I, I guess it just then uh, furthers the, the point of how Japan treats its uh, its its like junior heavyweight division. Um, it's not really it's it may not be in the main event spot, but it's not lesser than. It still has massive followings, um, and there are people in the junior position that are that have far more over than than the heavyweight like osprey is like uh like Ta- uh, takahashi takahashi was so incredibly over you'll you'll see countless people in um in the audience with his little stuffed cat 
Um, but I'm getting super sidetracked just talking about how much I love the the junior division and just Jap- uh, Japanese wrestling in general. The the match itself, you have this like sort of sort of clashing of styles. Um, Takagi can he's like he's not a he's built he's huge but he's not slow, so he really does match Osprey for speed, but where you know where Osprey can 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 best him in like technical maneuvers and, and high flying moves. Takagi can hit you with one of the most devastating lariats in professional wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're saying there with the clash of styles, it's it's not too much of a clash. It feeds into each other quite well. So I think right. what you're saying there, he's not he's not one of those typical big men where he just kind of lumbers around the ring. He is quite quick and he can pull off agile maneuvers. Like the big thing for me that really started to get me hyped into the match was not long after the opening, there's like an insane sequence of reversals that feels like they just string 20 reversals together in such quick success- succession where they're just mm-hmm. countering everything until they're just basically at a standoff again. And then it's things like in the opening, he shoulder tackles Osprey, but Osprey just immediately kicks up from it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think when people when people who don't watch New Japan think about New Japan, and, and even I guess we haven't helped in the way that we're talking about it, um, they just talk about moves and they talk about speed and they talk about all of this. But when someone does, you know, does a kip up and or does a, a, a springboard off the top rope, they take they take a beat. They get the reactions. They allow the crowd to sit with it. You know, he does this kip up and, and Takagi gives him, you know, this incredibly evil look where it's just like it, you, you're allowed to sit with it. And it's it's a it's a credit to the. Um, to the production team that the new japan have where the product is made to kind it is, it is made to feel more sporting like it's more like an event there are, there are cameramen ringside at these things um and by cameramen i mean i don't just mean people recording it there are actual photographers that that take pictures during the matches right at ringside um and yet the the cameramen are able to get such good like angles and such good um emotional content from them um that it's 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 such a good product no i agree i think i think it is one of those things where the real argument is that new japan has always lobbied as being more legitimate than other companies so especially for the longest time they weren't big on kind of stories which has kind of changed over the last couple of years but it's one of those things where they try to just tell the story in the ring. So there was obviously some build this between the two, but because the big thing going into this was Shingo was undefeated at this point as well, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were building up on that, so that's good. And then it's just the fact, like it is just the, it's not quite big versus little. Like obviously Shingo is a lot more powerful than Osprey. But they do kind of fit in that well because it, it is a great back and forth contest of Shingo always kind of delivering the more powerhouse moves. But Osprey, to his arsenal, was able to do like more better kicks. He's just got that more agility to him. So it does feed in well and it does tell a really interesting story as the match goes on just by the moves they do and then the way they're reacting to one another. Yeah, because um, the... the... The sort of first part of the match for Shingo is is sort of dominated by just sort of shoulder tackles, um, sort of heavy chops, sort of like kitchen sink knees as well. Um, and then I, th- I 
there's a, there's a point in the match where he does this just absolute it, it's 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 the tandem of both of them sort of uh, making it happen but he does this pop up um death valley driver that is so clean it's it's amazing he he takes a cert, like he he catches osprey after the pop up into the the sort of fireman's carry position takes a beat and then just flips him over it's so it's it's absolutely incredible by both of them I don't even remember that. that. You get some pretty good air on that as well. Yeah, yeah. Spot as well. It, it, it's all well done. I think what I find interesting about it as well, um, one spot I just have to point out was when he when he does go high, him landing on the guardrail just looked absolutely brutal. It's it's not like he just lands and hits it. He just kind of lands on it and is just kind of stuck, dangling there. I was just went yeah, he, he, he leaps over, hits Osprey, and then sort of his lower body just just like... Yeah, he gets laid out on the guardrail. Yeah, he just gets tangled in there. Because, like, if, if someone hasn't seen New Japan before, their guardrail is just essentially... It is just a, a blue rail. It's not like WWE's black, all matte kind of one. It's just blue with bars. And it's it, it looks so unstable. But then you've got a big guy like Shingo just doing a flip through the air, landing on it, and it just supporting him up. But then mm-hmm. not long after that, I think it's where it feeds into Osprey just balancing on it and then flipping back off to land on top of Shingo. So, again, the, the, the moves they were pulling out and those kind of high-risk stuff were really creative throughout this match. Mm-hmm. One thing that um, that New Japan have... like WWE have some of the best referees. Um, obviously, Robinson is one of the best uh, of all time. Mike Yoda, when he was there, amazing. Uh, but you'll you'll notice uh, some red shoes on the referee, and uh, you'll know him by the name Red Shoes. Um, huh. It watch just just watch him in New Japan matches. He's he's so incredible at just highlighting things. There's there are points where someone will do a a, a power bomb or something like that, and you'll just see him in the background, um, not stealing the limelight, but just heightening the the moves and the story and just putting both people over. No, I agree. I think Red Shoes might be my favorite referee because yeah. you're right. He, he he fits more with what you would expect from a referee in this thing. He obviously has to call the match, but he does generally show concern for the wrestlers. So when something gets pulled off, like an insane move, he will just obviously react accordingly to it. And it's even like things like if it's getting really into the later stages of the match, because this one did go on for like about, 30, 40 minutes when it feels like it could be reaching that end and someone kicks out even he has that look of disbelief of like how in the hell did they kick out of that and it's like little things like when he went on the outside just to check on them both and yep. basically was saying i'm gonna have to do the count out now just so essentially they were aware and then just goes kind of straight into it he just basically does a great job of feeding into the action that happens in the ring as well as just kind of doing his duty duties as well yeah, just just watch his mannerisms when he's doing a three count. It's so uh, exaggerated and 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 perfect. There's a there's a point where, um, where I think I think Shingo kicks out. It might be it might be Osprey. I'm pretty sure it's Shingo though. Shingo kicks out, and he's he's so close to hitting the three, and just as he kicks out, uh, <laughs> Reggie is like does a he rolls out of the way as he kicks out, um, and it's just so exaggerated and just makes the moves feel weightier than they are yeah yeah absolutely no he's, he's just a tremendous referee um 
so uh, something like that just feeds so well into it and it, again it's just one of those things to see it's it's not like WWE's referees are kind of good at that kind of thing as well like Sean Kassel where they can but I just think even I just think Red Shoes is just a cut above the rest when it comes to like his referee work tell you what next week we'll do a little segment on uh, on what makes a great referee and our favourite referees sounds good I'm looking forward to that absolutely wonderful well that was uh, my match that you need to see uh, and that was the best of the Super Junior 26 final Osprey versus Takagi check it out fantastic um yep absolutely check it out i thoroughly enjoyed this match first time i saw it this morning and i'll definitely be going back to check it out again it was absolutely brilliant so um going into this week uh what we're kind of doing here at the podcast we want kind of a main topic that kind of linchpins an episode and as we alluded to during the highlight segment the biggest news story that came out this week was selena vega was released by by the wwe um what happened was she posted a tweet regarding union unionization i'm going to struggle to say that but like just deal with it <laughs> um and then literally 10 minutes after she posted that tweet then the announcement came through she'd been let go and it's unionization has been a big thing where it's always been something that should have probably happened in wrestling but as we'll go into it keeps getting kiboshed but recently after a couple of things that have gone on this year the it's raised its head again so we're going to kind of look into the history of it and just kind of discuss about should it be a thing and like if it is why it would benefit wrestling so yeah that's what we're going to kind of lead into there um any kind of thoughts about the selena vega release yeah so i think because of the way wwe works it being this massive you know conglomerate and 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 sections of of teams i i'm sure that the talks with uh zelina were going on for quite a while this has been going on um, to do, I think it's spearheaded. I'm sure there were already some issues, but I think it's spearheaded when um, sort of the the Twitch thing happened. And for those that don't know, WWE basically saw their wrestlers on Twitch and at the time Mixer, which is where AJ was, um, rest in peace Mixer. Um, they, they saw them on these other sites and having these other uh, sort of sources of revenue and we're, we're kind of basically saying we would like that revenue. It's our revenue. I, I think the probably their thinking is we made you, so we own what you make. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the Twitch thing was interesting because the, it kept changing what was happening with that. So obviously they first came out and said, right, well, basically anything like that you're gonna have to stop doing but then they kind of did a change on it saying we want you to sign these new contracts where what would happen is they would it would account towards their downside guarantee you think it's called which it's a weird thing to explain but every contract has it in and that kind of relates to things like merch and other appearances they do outside the wwe and right what it would essentially amass to is they would essentially basically see none of the profit from Twitch because a lot of them were sort of essentially doing this because they weren't going to be working as regularly and it was just kind of an extra outlet for them to get that sort of extra cash in. And that's sort of where WWE has probably had that kind of issue with them doing it. Yeah. Um, Zelina is an interesting one because the reportedly she was actually receiving more money from Twitch uh, per month than she is from WWE. 
Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, because, I mean, one thing that a lot of people don't, uh, don't realize about WWE with a lot of the wrestlers is that they're not on, they're not all millionaires. They're not all on uh, millionaire, millions a year contracts. A lot of them um, are on a lot less. I think the starting salary for for NXT and for, for maybe even NXT UK is around 30, 30K. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, you could get in just an office job. Um, and when on top of that, which is another point we're going to dive into, when on top of that you are classed as an independent contractor that is on that, I believe in, in a lot of cases you pay, you know, a lot more tax. And, and also these people need to need to think about uh, travel. They need to think about, I mean, you look at a, a wrestler's expenses, right? Where it's, yeah. it's, it's, well, let's, let's talk about, let's, let's say Braun Strowman. How many calories a day does Braun Strowman need to eat? You know, like 6,000 to, oh, to keep up that physique. Something ridiculous. Like funny example is if you ever watched the table of free episode with him and mm. Alexa and Ember moon, um, it's funny throughout because they order burgers and then by the end of the episode he's not only ate his but he's ate Alexa's and he's ate Ember's so a big guy like him needs to keep piling on those calories just to kind of keep his body mass so yeah he's going to be putting a lot of money into just maintaining and eating that diet just to stay the size he is right so I mean there's a lot of of um I mean that's obviously that's just a you know a, a fun little aside but then but then you've got things like the travel um you know uh, hotel and I, I i don't know the ins and outs of a lot of people's contracts i'm sure a lot of people have negotiated travel into their contracts um i i i hope it's already widespread which is you know would would be ideal but i don't know if that's entirely the case yeah. and zelina as a manager and occasional wrestler i don't think she would have been on you know a big money deal i mean going back to braun Strowman, he was on he was very recently he was only on a 300,000 a year contract as a big star yeah which I mean, you don't we don't think cuz you you look at him and you're like he's huge how is he only on that much i think it's literally a case if you're someone like a john cena or hulk hogan figure that you're going to be making the contracts that go to the millions um, like you were saying there, there is the base level ones, but then on top of that, it's it's weird how they must get paid because it, it's it's sometimes it's sometimes comes down to the when they're actually on TV or house shows. So I remember when Dean Ambrose went over to AEW, he did the Jericho podcast. The last show he did was that Shield special for the network, and I think he only got paid about five hundred dollars for being on that show, and he was like part of the shield he was the marquee it was his face advertising the pay-per-view and he got paid five hundred dollars just for doing that event yeah yeah i mean they a lot of them do get paid um you know pennies per event really it's why they all it's why that the house show schedule is is where a lot of them feel like they're going to be missing out because it's there's a lot of paydays there i suppose uh, and obviously people talk about um the wrestlemania paydays and everything and we'll get onto that with jesse um yeah when we talk about that but uh 
to, to round it off with Zelina, um, you spoke, you said uh, she posted that she's in support of unionization. And then 10 minutes later, they, um, you know, they, they released the, uh, we, we wish you best regards in your future endeavors uh, type thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure, I'm sure what was the case is that she's, she's a very intelligent person. They probably said to her, you're fired. And then instantly she tweeted that. And then, yeah. you know, you're, you're fired probably takes about 10 minutes down the line for them to write the press release and then actually fire the person. Um, currently on Twitter, I think that has over a hundred thousand likes. Um, it's been shared around. It's been, you know, picked up by a lot of people. They, what usually happens is I, I believe it happened on a Friday. Um, they, they, at the end of the week news dump, is where they try and hide a lot of these things. Whether they did that for that reason, I don't know. But that's usually what they try and do, is if they're trying to hide a story, they don't really want to talk about it too much, they'll just drop it at the end of the week. That didn't really happen with this. Uh, it's been picked up by a lot of people, um, rightfully so, and we'll talk about a few people that are sort of, uh, that are talking about it and trying to champion it. Yeah, absolutely, because it's not been... Selena has not been the only one just champion for this. Um, there's a bigger name, which we'll get on to, but it's definitely making rumbles again. And I think, to kind of give more sort of background on... Because we've touched upon briefly about their contracts and about how they work. So the big thing that caused an issue is that they are classed as independent contractors. That's the contract they sign, which usually means that, you know, they're technically employed by WWE as their non-employee so that means they have to cover things like social security their own health care and usually when you're an in independent contractor that means you have the freedom to move around but as you'll see if you're signed to WWE they don't have that freedom like they can't appear for other wrestling companies they can't right. do their own appearances it all can't have your own twitch account yeah exactly and it's 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 since the age of social media, this, this, the Twitch thing, it's, it didn't surprise me when they said, we want you to sign new contracts saying that we have control over that because even things like Twitter, I believe a lot of wrestlers have to sign a contract saying, we need you to have a Twitter account and we need you to do X amount of tweets every day. So even in that regard, they don't control their own social media in some cases. Some cases. I think as we kind of discussed there, if you're in higher priority within and in the company, then they'll give you that freedom to kind of do what you want with it. But for most of the superstars, they're kind of stuck with these contracts where it sounds like they should be able to do what they want because they're not a fully contracted employee. But it's incredible to see that that isn't the case. They are basically still locked into WWE and they'll things like this will happen if they try and even broach the thing about unions or trying to go outside of the means of that contract. Yeah, um... There was there was a while ago talk about when uh, California brought introduced new laws um, about independent contractors and and what really what really makes someone an independent contractor and can you class someone as an independent contractor under their guidelines for what that is the WWE would not be independent contractors I mean you can't really sign a five year exclusive deal and really be classed as an independent anything you know no exactly like the contracts of the sign it makes it sound like that they should just be a full wwe employee like 
they shouldn't be an independent contractor because that yeah. would grant them the freedom, but it really doesn't. I mean, to give you a quote, so one person we're going to touch upon is Jesse the Body Ventura, and he has been one of the bigger champions of unions for decades now. So I'll try and go through a quote what he said. So he said, all through your wrestling career, remember, you're an independent contractor. You're paying out enormous amount in taxes. There's no pension, no health benefits. And the moment you're not making that draw, the promoters couldn't care less about you. You're a piece of meat. And you guys that had worked hard for 20 years or more and still retired with nothing. Wrestling operated under some of the most unfair working conditions in the country. I don't know how you get away with that for so many years. Yeah, yeah, um... I mean, we'll talk about how things have changed, um, how the culture around wrestling has changed, I suppose. Um, I remember, I think it might have been that same that same talk, but Jesse once said that his biggest payday was when he special guest refereed. Was that the, the one in the late 90s? Um was against Stone Cold Mankind match? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, when he um, came back. Because he hadn't been back in WWE for well over a decade when he did that. And that was when he was in the midst of running for governor, I think. Or was he already the governor at that point? I, I do not remember the timeline on that. I remember him talking about um, how high up he wanted to take this in the Senate. And, and he regrets not doing more about unionization. In yeah. regards to that, I mean, it would have been good to see that. But I mean, going back to him, he did try when he was still wrestling for WWE back in the eighties, and this is what caused him to be gone for like quite a while. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was WrestleMania two on the eve of it. He got everyone together and basically was trying to sell the idea of having a union on them. And the thing was, it's not like he was trying to underhand Vince, because like when you look into it, if they did have a union, it, it can help towards Vince saving a bit of money, because the union would help trying to gather things like so they can help kind of have a pot for travel and paying for these expenses that they could do with covering. But what happened was he had this big locker room meeting and then Hulk Hogan stooged him off to Vince yeah. and essentially because of that he was just let go from the company for a couple of years. Yeah, um, it was it was Jesse's... He, Jesse says it was his lawyer that got it out of Vince. Um, basically asked, you know, how did you find out? And he, Vince just eagerly said, you know, it, it, was, it was Hogan. Um, and I guess that leads to... You know the 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 locker room being this because you we always hear about backstage politics and it, it it really is sometimes the most interesting and sometimes horrible part of of wrestling. Um, you know you have these locker room leaders. You had a you have Hogan, I guess. You had uh, you had Taker. You've got uh, currently Reigns. Cena was a locker room leader. Uh, Punk claimed he was a locker room leader, but there are many people that dispute that. Um, and and it's it's weird to to think of that as the closest thing they have to a union. If there's a dispute, it goes to you know wrestlers court with just <laughs> with just the guy that's been there the longest, or not even the guy that's been there the longest, the one that's most liked by management at the time. You know, it's it's a weird form of of HR. It's it's so crazy that you can you can be 
like the Miz and and what what was it eat eat chicken wings by someone's open bag and then have to change in the public toilets for how many months years? Yep, yep, yep that was definitely. I think the situation was he was eating fried chicken over Chris Benoit's bag, which I guess bit of a dick move if if he was just like deliberately like doing that but yeah he went through wrestlers court and he wasn't allowed to change with the boys for months on on end like that was his punishment and then there was stuff like i think it was muhammad Hassan. um he he did do something that was a bit of a faux pas and i think they were overseas and what happened was wrestlers court came back and said right we're going out for drinks you have to pay the bar tab at the end of it and it wasn't just the situation of the boys just getting drunk they were ordering like expensive drinks and then just pouring them out in front of them just to prove this weird point right so yeah it, it always has been a thing where i guess the boys manage the boys but again it, it's not the best etiquette because essentially with that it's going back to the wrestlers court thing usually the one running it Fair enough, someone, it's usually like someone like The Undertaker who has the interest of the boys at heart, but he is Vince's boy. Then you just get people like JBL who run it, who is just probably more in favour as being Vince's boy, because obviously the amount of stories of him and what he's done to people backstage, it's just absolutely horrendous and ridiculous. So this is where like having a proper union would benefit every superstar from the top downwards, so there is that equal pegging, and it's not just... Vince's boys are the more established names basically ruling what should be happening in that locker room. Yeah, um the it, it just allows for people to have a say and the WWE while, you know, the most high profile and and often sometimes the the, the most horrific stories come from there, they're not the only company to have or to have had these kind of issues. Japan is not exempt from that. New Japan um, I think it was in Tanahashi's book he talks about because Tanahashi became the ace of New Japan around like uh, like the mid noughties mm. um, and he he sort of talked about changing the locker room and, and changing the culture there um, I believe I believe they're still classed as independent contractors in Japan I I'm not entirely sure um, I don't I don't have their contracts and if I did I can't read uh the japanese but um he he talked about how you know the the locker rooms back then were so full of hazing and 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 vile just sort of sort of things i i guess it's you know it's not even it's not wwe culture it's just kind of wrestling culture or even culture as a whole you know back in the yeah. 70s and 80s this was this was a thing. Um... I mean, go, going off that, like, if you look at the history of wrestling, so the pro wrestling as we know it essentially has its roots to the carnival circuit. So it, it is a carny mm-hmm. thing. And even all the way back then and throughout its evolution, it's never been a case of wrestlers having that control, which you think they would, given that, you know, they're the reason people are going to pay to see them. They're the ones that help and bring that revenue in. Without them, you've got no wrestling product. Because you look at other sports, you know, people who play American football, uh, you know, proper English football, everyone has that union, that protection. So they are, they have their rights and they have what they want to say. With wrestling, it's never been the case that, um, I mean, just to give you a few, a few examples, there was a New York promoter called Jack Pfeffer, Fe- Jack 
Um, and he was pretty notorious for uh, having a reputation for swindling talent. So in his book, Herb Freeman said that he went to his Madison Square Garden payoff. Um, Pfeffer slid him a check face down, had him endorse it, then paid him $1,500 in cash. However, the check was meant to be for $2,500 in cash. Legend has it, because of these ways, um, a guy called Hans Stank, he once held him outside of his office window, dangling him above the New York City street line, just so he could get the payoff he needed. So it's never been something that's they've had that protection in terms of payoff. I mean, even someone like Tootsmont, who is like a pre-revolutionary name in wrestling back in the day, he would go through people's pay slips and pull out five, tens, and twenties, saying that was just too much for that guy to be making. So you can never really trust these promoters with like what you were going to get paid, even if you'd already settled on a price. Right, right. Um, I, I, in some respects, it's got better, but in in others, it's become a monopoly. You know, uh, to get all to get all like you know workers workers rise up on it um i mean I've got, it's I've it's got it's their example. labor they should have something to they should have a say uh the the house circuit is is injuring a lot of wrestlers you know luckily they've had well not luckily but um they've had a year off now from the yeah. house circuit because of everything that's happening um but the the you know the schedules that a lot of these people have put under because they don't have the leverage that um, an Edge would have or a, a Cena would have. Yeah, yeah. They they're put under so much so much stress. Sorry for cutting you off there. I, th- I think the big thing with that as well is like what we said in that Ventura quote is they don't have pensions and help with healthcare support. Right. So once they get to a certain age, unless they haven't put the money aside, which with fair enough, you're in this business, you can make the argument that they should be thinking about that, but every other business there is at least some pension scheme i mean you talk about like somebody who works at a mcdonald's or a starbucks i mean all the way up to like big corporations they've got pension schemes that people can be looked after and don't have to worry about that future it's covered for them um but you look at wrestling like some of the biggest stars when they get to those later stages in life they're having to go through any method they can if they're suffering from illness so the big example i can pull out was obviously when you watch that the documentary the resurrection of jay at the snake a big scene in that is they have to go through fans on kickstarter i believe just to get the funds he needs for a surgery because he just didn't have the money to pay for it yeah and yeah it was it was a good scene because it, it showed jake that he still got the love and support there but the fact he had to go through that method just to get the money he needed for that kind of speaks volumes about how they are not always protected once they have finished being a pro wrestler I guess I guess you know the positives about being a wrestler in the UK is that you're you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get seen no matter what, but um, yeah, I, I get especially for, for for them in America with with all of these expenses and and everything, it's it must just be it must just be hell. But but there are now some some rumblings um, with what Z- uh, Zelina made happen with you know just one tweet at the time. Um, for a while, Andrew Yang, who was, uh, uh, previously he, he ran as, um, a potential nominee for the Democratic Party, obviously beaten by Biden, and I believe he might have ran the year before as well, um, but he's always been very vocal in the wrestling community, and he's always been very anti, um, 
Vince on his stance on um, on unions, uh, and he's I think he tweeted I haven't forgotten about you Vince uh, after after the Z- Zelina tweet. Yeah, yeah, no, he did. So he's been the big name to crop of this year because, as we said, when the whole Twitch thing kicked off, he basically came to the fold. I think he did an appearance on the Jericho podcast as well, just to kind of discuss why discuss the yeah. idea of unions and what he's planning to do. So I think it was obviously a big thing for the McMahons that they were probably going to want Trump to stay in power because they're obviously heavily in bed with him because obviously Linda was part of his cabinet. It's no secret that the friends outside of the company, given the work Trump's done for them, he's in the Hall of Fame. So I reckon they were really hoping he'd get that seat back because now that Biden's in power, this seems like it's going to be a very worrying time for them because it seems like if this Andrew Yang managed to get involved with them, there'll be waves made to try and get WWE to sort of change their stance of how talent are classed within the company. And it's not going to be a good time for McMahon because it's going to end up costing him a lot of money, which he should have been paying out already just to get and make sure these wrestlers are supported. Yeah. Um, the you know the more high fro- uh, high profile people that that keep saying it the more wrestlers are going to be confident in in standing together because all it all it takes is a few dominoes at the top to 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 fall down and have everyone join this you know it's how a union starts you've you've got to you've got to become a union before you can join a union um uh it was the president of uh, sag aftra which is the screen actors guild sort of union for for usually like um you know well, screen actors and people like that which is what wrestlers are in the wwe they are entertainers they're actors they're all of this um it was uh, uh, uh gabriel carteris i'm sure i'm butchering that name they said wrestling is as much about media as it is about sports and we're going to directly engage with members of this profession to help find ways for them to protect themselves yeah absolutely i mean I think the big thing Yang said is that wrestlers should look into becoming part of the Scream Actors Guild uh, or SAG because it seems like they're at least going to try and give them some support with this. Um, But I think even with their support, it needs to be something where WWE has to be forced, the hand has to be forced to make these changes so they're no longer classed as independent contractors. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially over the next year or even maybe the next, you know, throughout the Biden presidency, whenever Andrew Yang can get this off the ground, if we will see these changes come forward. Because as history shown shown us, no matter what happens, whenever unions are brought up, someone, it just never materializes. And it's surprising it, it never did because big names have advocated for it, like people like Bret Hart did. I mean, going off him, so obviously the big thing, everyone knows what Bret Hart and Vince McMahon was, of course, the Montreal Screwjob. If there had been a union... You know, Brett would have had protection because McMahon wouldn't have been held accountable to more than just the wrestlers he was sitting across the table from. So if he'd been working with the Screen Actors Guild, um, employees to hold agreement upon their terms, ensuring the working of the singularity companies would provide the benefits for both parties agreed to. Because the big thing with that was his contract of control, but he couldn't hold it up against Vince because of the fact being an independent contractor. So if he had that, the screwdrop probably wouldn't have went the way it ended up eventually going. Right. He probably wouldn't have had... Vince probably wouldn't have had the confidence to even try that. Um, and history would have would have changed. Um, yeah. Wouldn't have been something that's constantly talked about and brought up the way it is, but... 
Oh, it's just go. it's it's nonstop. I kind of I do I do love that it's just the only thing that that people can talk about. It's just like it will <laughs> be a completely it can be a completely unrelated conversation. It will just be like, well, did you know that uh, Vince uh, drinks a Dr Pepper and a and a Power Bar, <laughs> and he also did the screw job. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things, especially when you watch like YouTube content makers. I don't think they can go a single video without it coming up, and even they get to the point now where they have to bring light to the fact. Wow, we we mentioned this again. I think before the internet and the rise of being able to see videos like this, like the screw job was a known thing, but now it feels like we know everything about it. But the fact it is still talked about heavily, twenty plus years on, speaks to what it is. But yeah, you you can't go. A single thing without mentioning it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there there are there were pushes in um in the uk not too long ago um for for independent wrestling to sort of join um unions and for wrestlers to join unions uh that was spearheaded by a man named david Starr, who allegedly uh has well who I I won't I won't go into what what he's done because I I I don't want to accuse yeah. him of things that I'm I haven't read up on personally. Let's just say um, if you followed the speaking out movement this year, you probably heard his name come up and what was involved with that. But obviously, this is all just allegations at this point. Right. He he had at the time been getting quite a lot of people into this independent movement, which was very pro union, very pro uh, worker. I believe it's completely dead now. Um, I think it's completely thing. gone. This this was such a good thing he was doing. Like, fair enough. What was quite interesting is when all the stuff came out, a lot of wrestlers then began to say about the true character he really was. So even if he wasn't always the best person to spearhead it, if, if, if he'd been replaced by someone else, hopefully it would have still had momentum because that was the thing. It was such a good thing he was doing and he had implemented change with the independent movement, but then this comes out and it's completely kind of derailed it and it just kind of goes to show that history history has not been kind to wrestling getting unionization, whether that's they've just been squashed by the bigger things or someone has the best of intentions, but it's clear with skeletons and possible skeletons skeletons in their closet, it just gets derailed one way or another. Yeah, uh, very unfortunate that, um, that that such a good cause had to be sullied by uh, by those um, numerous allegations. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so, so with regards, we're going forward. Do you, do you see more names being released? Just to set an example, because that's clear what the Selena one was. It's clear she made a big buzz about it, and Vince, rather than dealing with it like in a different manner, just decided to let it go. Because the big, the other big name that's come up with regards to this is Paige was lobbying about it as well. Like there was reports she was doing her research into it and was really trying to make a push. And when Twitch was announced that it would be having to get handed over, I think she's more or less refused, if I'm correct. Yeah, I believe so. I think because the they were try one of the biggest points that the WWE were trying to say is you can't use your WWE name because we own that. You can't be um you can't be representing us there without our knowledge. 
which is technically a clause that you know I've had in contracts where it's you can't represent our company somewhere else. Um, I think she got around that by changing her name to Soraya on there. Yeah, so she's going with her birth name now, I guess. I believe so, yeah. yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's a fair point that if this is something mm. they're doing outside the WWE, that fair enough, they can't use something that is a WWE property. I get that. It's just the fact that WWE are trying even beyond that just to have control over things like the Twitch. So if it's a case that they switch back the name, then I don't think WWE should have control over that because that's something that they're just doing under their own namesake. Yeah, it's it's the conversation of of uh you know of what you've made and and what they own if you make a uh, let, we just talk about an average worker at say mcdonald's or something you make a burger you don't own the burger but it's still a product of your labor the 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 company as a whole doesn't run without you doing that and that's the conversation at the end of the day is is that's what what unions are about is is this thing is a product of your labor. Yes, the the WWE owned the name Page, but the person that made Page is is Page. You know, it's it's the wrestler behind it. It's a product of her labor, and the 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 argument is: Does she own any of that because of a, a contract as an independent contractor that she signed? Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. I think. The issue they're going to have with it as well, maybe the reason Paige hasn't been brought forward yet is because of the stock they've already put into her. So even though she doesn't wrestle, she's still a big commodity for them because she was the one that kind of spearheaded the women's revolution. Obviously, she was kind of the trendsetter. Then you had people like, obviously, the force women kind of being the real ones to sort of help lay that further groundwork. And then you talk about things like fighting with my family, which was like a big thing for them. So... Mm-hmm. it's gonna be interesting to see if she gets let go because i feel like maybe she is on that level where they might not do it but i think if they did that would be a pretty big statement if it, because that's such a big name to let go maybe that would help set further example for the locker room about they just don't want to tolerate this kind of thing which is just insane yeah yeah i mean much like they did with the women's revolution where they get pressure from the fans well that's that's another thing if if the fans were there they very well could you know sort of try and spark something there because the fans have a lot of sway if if a union chant started going things could change but much like with the women's revolution where they started chanting you know give women a chance and that started trending and 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 all of this much like that i'm sure the wwe will turn around in a month or two and make a story out of how they're the first people to offer people unions much like they were the the first uh people to to have women wrestling and women's revolution and all of this um when they'll they'll, they'll put like shane uh, as the as the face of it like they did with stephanie <laughs> i think i think you're right um when it comes to it wwe are sort of like the ultimate spin doctors like they'll go so far with what they want to do but if fans make up a kick up a big enough stink they'll basically do what they can to spin it to show that they're in support of it so yeah at the end of the day i think if they do have to implement unionizations whether that's andrew yang managing to get them to 
the Biden administration to back this and force their hand with whatever legislation or changes they have to force on them. Or if it's just the case, WWE just decides to turn around and do implement it, maybe because the locker room causes enough of a fuss. Yeah. They'll find a way to make it seem like, oh, this was our idea, that we're in favor of this, look at all the good work we're doing, and try to cast aside this quite murky history of them constantly trying to like stamp it out, out and never be in support of it. Yeah, I, I just hope for the wrestler's sake, for the fans' sake, that it's no more sort of hollow platitudes when they do decide to do something like this. Um, I don't think that the house circuit should be this brutal on the wrestlers. The, one of the differences between New Japan, because you look at the New Japan style, right, and it's so hard-hitting and it's so brutal, but there's they're not often as injury-prone. And the reason is because they don't have as many singles matches. They don't... They do it very rarely. It's mainly tag matches where they can sort of take a breather, um, and and it's it's very rare. Whereas on the house circuit, it's it's do a match, um, drive like get in get in your car, drive for a very long time, uh, maybe get a tiny bit of sleep on the road while someone else is another wrestler is driving because you're in the car with them. Um, you, I mean, how many? They're all carpooling. And they've, of course, made a show up of that on the fucking WWE Network because they're the best spin doctors. Um, then you go to another house show, repeat that, and then do another house show so that you can then get in the car to go to SmackDown, do another house show, and then you've got a pay-per-view on the Sunday just in time to maybe show up for Raw on Monday. And it's it's day in, day out. They do all of this, and they've... And then on top of that, they've got probably uh, some photo shoots. They've got some interviews. They've got um, all of this. And the fact that any of these people even have the time to, um, to 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 keep up a Twitch channel and make it successful means that they should probably keep their own bloody Twitch channel, you know? Yeah, 100%. I, I honestly think House Show Circuit is something that probably needs to kind of die off a bit because... AEW aren't, AEW aren't doing it, and it seems like to work a lot better for the wrestlers. Like, fair enough with AEW, they must have... I, I mean, I don't think they class their talent as independent contractors, do they? It's Or if they do, it's a lot more open, because you, you see a lot of them have that freedom to work in New Japan or the Indies, so it does fit more in lines with what an independent contractor is. But even then, they do take care of the talents, like going back to the big thing with... Not to dwell on it too much with the speaking out movement, Jimmy Havoc was implemented in that. Rather than just letting him go, they at least put him forward for some therapy and counselling to try and work on his issues before they eventually let him go. So they at least took the right steps with that. But I think one of the big things I would like to say, even if WWE doesn't do a union, some just some drastic changes would be good. So maybe not as many house shows just to give the talent time to save on wear and tear. The big thing for me was I think wrestling should be like a lot of other sports where you have an off-season because as much as we love it, you got to admit, there are points where you get burnt out because it's just constant every week. I feel mm -hmm. like if WWE just had a month or two off, like most sports do, it gives the fans a chance to recharge and it gives WWE talent time to rest. also gives the writing team time to work on storylines as well. So I'd like to see something like that at least implemented and that's going to kind of at least invoke some more positive change and help for the talent. Yeah, um... God, you, you, I saw someone 
talking about um, how oh the G one looks really sort of intense. They they do a lot of these matches back to back. Um, the the G one being the the one of the big tournaments, what well, the biggest wrestling tournament I would say yeah, in the world. Absolutely. Um, and and this massive tournament in Japan, and they do this they do this uh, G one. It's so brutal, and then they take September off. They just don't really they don't really wrestle during it, you know. Or they they make time for uh, the, the the World Tag League or, or um, best of the Super Juniors or the Super Junior Tag League or or, or anything like that. Um, with WWE is crazy, you know why why they don't take christmas day off or <laughs> or just like or just do a, a month of where smackdown gets the time off and a month where raw gets the time off you still got shows you've still got all of this it's it's crazy um the thing is it's the most profitable wwe has ever been they're not struggling they cut a bunch of people at the beginning of the year and even if they didn't they would still be the most profitable they've ever been with no house shows the most profitable but they're gonna go back to house shows they're gonna go back to the exact way that they've done it before there's not going to be any change during during any of this even though they realize that the you know the money that they're getting with the the fox deal the money that i'm sure they'll go back to when they do uh, the saudi arabia shows um it doesn't mean anything for the talent right now no yeah i think you're right i think if WWE is going to change it's not going to be the thing where it comes through them i think it's gonna to have to be someone like andrew yang or the biden administration just implementing these changes just to sort of force the hand so it's just gonna be interesting to see what's going to happen over the next year or a couple of years to see what can materialize out of this hopefully reinvigorated union union talk and i hope that the momentum continues just so they've got a better platform to go on um i think we've covered quite a lot there um i think this is a topic we can easily come back to at another point but um oh, i'm sure we're i'm sure that? we're going to be forced to to yeah. come back to this and, and i hope it's for the positive yeah absolutely um yeah so before we wrap up there anything else you want to say on unions at all uh well i guess for <laughs> for what little it matters i i uh i wish zelina the best um to go and check out her twitch stream because yeah, it, it's very entertaining yeah, I, th- I think she'll be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with her husband, Alistair Black. I mean, he's not at the biggest, best go of the company at the moment anyway. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's going to suffer because of this, because he's still oh, with them. Oh, uh, much like Lana, he's going to be put through a table every week for 10 weeks. Oh, no, no, please, not not to Alistair. <laughs> um, I mean, the big thing was he did say he, wanted, he tried to go back to NXT recently, and they said no, but... It's going to be interesting to see. I, I really hope because he's one of the best talents, but we'll see what happens with it um, anyway. Keep so. our fingers crossed as always. Try, try Do our best to keep it positive, uh, but it's very difficult when you when you talk about unions, I suppose. I suppose, but I mean, it, it's positive that we're just talking about it and bringing it to light anyway. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think it fits in lines. It's, it's, a, it's a positive thing that will hopefully happen, and I believe one day eventually will. It's just the way it's just it is the way forward for these people for the it's the best for them yeah absolutely man and like i say we'll probably come back to this at some point down the line but brilliant no so thanks to all the listeners for checking us out again i mean just to cap on things again you can find us back on podbean amazon google spotify uh social media on facebook at the bear club podcast bear club podcast i'm gonna keep doing that um and we're on twitter garrett we are on uh, Twitter. We are now. Let me just double check because I only just wrote it. Uh, we are at Bear Hug Club. 
fantastic. So yeah, give us a like, share, subscribe, review, all that jazz. It goes a long way to helping us out. And we'll catch you next week. Uh, I'll see you next week, Boo. I'll see you then. See you then. All right, goodbye, everybody. Bye.